I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. Well, you don't like the dots? Everyone else loves the dots. On today's episode, who asked for this? We know Doug Ford wants to bring the Science Center down to the Ontario Place site, and not everyone's on board, but the Premier has changed his tune from a be sharp to a let's be friends. Is it obvious I know nothing about music. I do know when Ford gets folksy, that's when he's up to something. Plus, you'll get some background on the architectural history of the Science Center building, which is pretty cool. And you've heard of the green belt, but did you know there was a yellow belt too? Where is it? What's on it? How will it help with housing goals in Toronto? And stay the hell off my lawn. You'll find out what the city has planned for these neighborhoods coming up on Today in T.O. have two science centers? There's been a lot of talk about Ontario Place, and I hate it, thanks. The Ontario government decided that while they're, quote, revitalizing the lakeshore, why not just move the science center from Don Mills and Eglinton down to the lakeshore? You'll hear why some folks think that's a problem, but the newest piece to this puzzle is the fact that the Austrian company has signed a 95-year lease with the province of Ontario. Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief with Global News, has more. Therma, the company that's going to be building this spa, says they're spending about $350 million on their facility and another $100 million to you know really build up the public area. So they're going to create a beach, a proper marina, lots of green space, they say, for you know the public to be able to interact with. And then they'd have to pay a fee if they want to come into the actual facility itself. Uh, a lot of people knew that this was a long-term contract because that's all we've been hearing publicly. But Therma says, listen, they needed a long-term horizon to make back their initial half a billion dollar investment. But I think a lot of people today are hearing this 95 years and they're saying, whoa, that's a really long time giving up a public asset to a private company that future Ontarians won't necessarily have access to unless they pay a fee. This raises questions about the future of the public space, how much control future governments would have over Ontario Place, especially since it's technically owned and paid for by us, the taxpayers in this province. But of course, Premier Doug Ford is sitting on a secret. It's not going to cost the taxpayers any money outside of us owning an asset, which is a parking lot, and clearing the land. So we aren't giving Thermae money. We aren't giving Live Nation uh, money. And again, with the other proponents on another part, eventually we'll get to. Uh, I, I just can't disclose that right at this point without uh, getting confirmation in the exact numbers. But as, as I've always said, I'll always be transparent. Even though it's not the taxpayers' money, I'll make sure uh, we get the numbers out there eventually. Um, don't hurt yourself. When it comes to the lease, though, 95-year or 99-year leases aren't uncommon. 
in the city of Toronto, um, the city leases public land to the Harborfront Centre. It leases public land to the Humber College South Campus and to Sinai Health, according to the city. Another example of a 99-year lease is the land on which the Ontario Science Centre sits. I'm glad you brought that up, Colin, because the city currently leases that to the province. And Ontario wants to move the Science Centre to Ontario Place because the building is old and needs repairs, they say. So before we tug on that thread, here's architecture critic for The Globe and Mail, Alex Bozakovich. It was a gift to the people of Ontario. That's what the government said at the time. And it is, I think, one of the best buildings in the city and also one of the most beloved buildings in the city. You know, so many of us have had the experience of going there, you know, going through those grand halls and winding our way down into the ravine, you know, running your hands across those concrete walls. It's, you know, it's the experience of being there is imprinted onto the memories of so many of us. And, you know, I think getting rid of that is something that we just can't accept, regardless of uh, whether it's expensive or not. What Ontario Place and the Science Centre have in common is that they are places of shared experience. It might sound hokey, but it's not for nothing. You know, the bigger piece of this, I think, with both Ontario Place and with the Science Centre is that these are places that are places that we all had in common, right? I mean, it happens that they came out of a certain moment in history, you know, when government was doing sort of big and exciting things, and they were designed by young designers in a really creative and ambitious way. You know, the park at Ontario Place and the buildings are the same thing. But, you know, the, the larger importance is these are places where, you know, we, many of us have had this shared experience. And, you know, that's just invaluable, right? I mean, even if the buildings weren't special, which they are, you know, keeping that in place is something that is just, you know, they're embedded in our culture and, and we can't just be too quick to let that go. One of the reasons why this idea was floated in the first place, and this piece seems to have gotten lost in the shuffle, is the promise of housing. 5,000 new units, including 1,500 affordable units. So where are we on that? Because I don't know if you noticed, but the Science Center is built into the side of a ravine. That means that, you know, from a regulatory point of view, you can't build anything where most of the current building is. Where you can build is on the giant parking lots in front of it. And in fact, the city is already planning to do so. You know, part of the parking lots there are already part of the city's Housing Now program. And there's a proposal that's been working its way through approvals for a couple of years now. So, you know, the upshot there is that it is possible and I think makes a lot of sense to put some amount of new housing on that site. But to get rid of the Science Center at the same time is unnecessary. And it would be a huge blow for that part of the city as well, even as you add thousands of new residents. And what do the current residents of Flemington Park think about this? Losing a gem in their community, a space for learning, interaction, togetherness, creativity, curiosity? Last week, When this question came up, what do you say to the residents in the area who don't want to see the Science Center move? Premier Doug Ford answered with a gaslight. You're getting a brand new subway station that you never had before. You're going to be able to get to a job quicker. You're going to be able to come down to Ontario Place uh, a lot quicker. And to be very fair to the people that worked their backs off at the Ontario Science Center, uh, for decades, they want something new. They want something sparkling and, and have an opportunity to be able to walk in a beautiful facility rather than a rundown old building. What about to be fair to the residents who live there? A new subway line they were going to get anyway is no replacement 
for a community hub like the Science Center. And I'm glad he brought up that it's a rundown old building because whose fault is that? Ontario owns it. Here's Stephanie Ma, president of the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario's Toronto Division. We certainly think that the the building is in need of repair and care, but um, you know, buildings don't just fall apart. Uh, that's um, what we sort of call deferred maintenance. So uh, the property owner in this case, the province of Ontario, not taking the time to care for their own property, which they should be putting time into. So there's things like um, the pedestrian bridge that we're really concerned about. Um, that's part of the design and experience of the building. This building is um, it's actually three buildings that are connected through these series of bridges so that you're um, really integrated into the natural contours of the Don River Ravine. Uh, and that's a part of it. So it's a site-specific space. Um, but the, the state of the building, it's still in good condition. There's no reason that it can't be repaired, reused, um, or used as it is right now, uh, just with some uh, maintenance to it. Um, and that would be both the financially, but also the environmentally responsible thing to do. Right? There's a huge environmental piece to this, too. Demolitions are terrible for the environment. And I haven't even mentioned what the impact of building a huge spa along the waterfront will do. But also, the Science Centre has historical significance, something that Toronto doesn't have a lot of. The Ontario Science Centre was designed by architect Raymond Moriyama, um, and it was an Ontario project for the centennial. So uh, roughly 900 or so centennial buildings were constructed um, in each province and territory during the 1960s um, all across the country to celebrate Canada's 100th birthday. So buildings like Ontario, uh, Ottawa's National Arts Centre, um, the Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall, and uh, all of these are really important buildings. Uh, and it was a time when um, arts, culture, and education were really flourishing uh, and being supported in Ontario. So this building, the Science Centre, uh, really represents civic pride. So to bring this all back, last week, of course, Doug Ford was saying things like, well, last time I checked, it said Ontario Place, not Toronto Place. And remember, just a moment ago, he was lecturing residents in Flemington Park who have an issue, rightly so, with moving the Science Centre from their neighbourhood. And I think maybe the premier over the weekend got a bit of a talking to because now he's singing a much different tune. He went from a B sharp to a let's be friends. If the city of Toronto wants to work collaboratively, again, it's their property. If they need some community benefits, I hear they need a new school, we'll build a new school. If they need a new community center, we'll build a new community center there. If they, they need, uh, you know, other, other uh, community benefits, I'm, I'm there. But it's all about working together, not working against each other. And I know there, there may be a few down at City Hall, but I think the majority of people, including the acting mayor, is going to work collaboratively with us. Whatever you want, whatever you need. You want a school? You got it. We got to work together. Come on, let's bring it in for a hug. Oop, got your wallet. Hey, if you're tired of talking about these two neighborhoods, I get it. And on the other side of this, you're going to hear what Toronto has planned for their Yellow Belt communities. Where are these? They're everywhere. And is this a way to help build up neighborhoods and provide housing solutions? Yes and yes. You'll hear how coming up next.
Have you ever heard of the Yellow Belt? These are areas in the GTA where only single-family houses are permitted. So why do they call it the Yellow Belt? We actually color them yellow on one of our maps. So they've, you know, people have kind of developed this uh, name for it, not unlike the Green Belt, where it's farms and forests outside of the city. They've They've looked at our maps and called it the Yellow Belt, but it's really our low-rise, our low-rise neighborhoods in in the city. That was Greg Lintern, executive director and chief planner for the city of Toronto, and that makes sense. Uh, if you were to look at a map of Yellow Belt areas across the city, they're pretty much everywhere. Many parts in the city proper are slated for huge developments, but there are pockets like parts of East York, the Bridal Path. Eglinton and Lawrence, Scarborough Agent Court, Etobicoke Center, for example, these areas fall into the yellow belt. And in the past couple of years, the city has made moves to promote more housing in these areas. Toronto currently does allow you to rent out a basement suite or build what they call garden or laneway flats. This passed in February of 2022. It's an amendment and zoning bylaw to allow for eligible property owners to build secondary dwelling units. And there are a ton of them in my neighborhood, and some of them are gorgeous. Now, they're looking to make further changes to zoning laws in Toronto, allowing for duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes in all of the city's low-rise areas. Many people across the city already live in these things. About 25% of Frontonians already live in a multiplex. So this is about expanding that permission to more areas of the city where they're currently not permitted. When I think of fourplexes and triplexes and duplexes, I think a lot about the beaches because that neighborhood is full of adorable properties that can house families that provide affordable rents, big boulevards, backyards, amenities. I live in one of these converted homes. It houses two families, including my own, plus two businesses on one side, and maybe three or four units plus a small gym on the other. And guess what? From the outside, looks like a normal home. But the idea is there's still the same scale as the neighborhood. There's still a low-rise scale. There's still room for trees to be planted. There's still front lawns. It's really, you know, the, the idea is they're really not perceived, perceived to be any different than the low-rise context that's already in your neighborhood. So no need to freak out. I honestly think this is great for everybody involved. Some of our neighborhoods are actually declining in population. They're actually losing people. So this is a way to actually make your local retail strip come more to life because there's more shoppers in the area. It's a way to keep your schools open because maybe families move into these multiplexes and they've got kids. So we've got to think about the unevenness of what's happening in Toronto. Some areas are really hot. And they're getting, you know, maybe some people are saying there's too much happening. In other areas, uh, maybe not enough's happening. The timeline for this is as follows. It's on the table. There's a public consultation this week. And then it goes to City Council in May. And provided City Council approves it, uh, people can start thinking more seriously about doing this on their properties across the city uh, come the summer. So that's the gist. And honestly, I'm quite pleased with this as a way to address the housing crisis in Toronto. Of course, there will be some pushback to this. There will be folks who say, not in my backyard. But I think it's a win-win-win for homeowners, 
for those looking for affordable housing solutions, for neighborhoods, and the future growth and affordability of Toronto. And last thing, because I think this is the most important takeaway, Eric Lombardi is a self-described YIMBY, which stands for Yes in My Backyard. He's also with More Neighbors Toronto, which is a pro-housing organization. And here's the potential impact this will have. This is a big opportunity for Toronto to address its housing crisis. It's also a huge opportunity for so many who already own homes. And, you know, the scale of the impact that we're talking about, if just one in 10 single family homes in the next 10 years became a multiplex, a fourplex, we would more than meet half of our housing targets. And so this is one small change that can really go a long way. And the impact would not be as dramatic as I think uh, those who oppose it believe it might be. I love it. Let's put a few more notches on the yellow belt and open up more parts of the city for growth. And as I look to the future, producer Glenn Bergonier has gone back in time to the year 1969. Sugar Sugar by the Archies was the top song. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was the highest grossing film. And a brand new science museum was officially opening its doors in the heart of Flemington Park. But before it opened its doors to the public in 1969, a local Japanese architect, Raymond Moriyama, was given his first big chance to design this building. Now, when he was first approached, Moriyama was still considered the popular kid in architecture, at least on the block, for just completing the Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center in 1964. Now, it was originally built to not only serve as a point of pride for the Japanese community, but to also commemorate the thousands of Japanese and other Asian Canadians who were rounded up and thrown into internment camps less than 20 years previously during the Second World War. But back to the Science Center. Moriyama completed the Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center and was approached to design the building, citing that it was supposed to be one of the world's first interactive science museums and it was going to be called the Centennial Center for Science and Technology. So Moriyama designed what he referred to as a landmark building that was purposefully nestled in the natural ravine of the Don Valley using the still popular at the time and recently coined style of brutalism. But Moriyama did hide one aspect of the design on the roof and did so in a way that it would only be visible from a bird's eye view and if he had it all his way, would not be discovered for decades. He found a way to uniquely incorporate the four hiragana of his surname onto the roof using only different colored roofing aggregate. And for those of you who are unaware, hiragana is a Japanese syllabary and part of the Japanese writing system. However, sadly, due to the exposure of the elements, the symbols were all but washed away by 1991. And so on Canada's 100th birthday in 1969, after five years of design and construction, the iconic museum opened its doors to the public under a new name, a more streamlined name, the Ontario Science Centre. And in the 54 years since its opening, over 54 million people have walked through its doors and explored this interactive museum, all in the name of science. Toronto, where history and science come to die. 
Of course, this podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Till then, try not to break anything. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>